Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. In this episode, and we're going to win, whatever it takes. Yes, another episode devoted to Avengers Endgame because it's just that deserving. If you haven't already, make sure you check out part one, episode 2.7, This is the Fight of Our Lives, in which you'll hear the first three segments of discussion between me and different guests about the movie. In this episode, you'll hear some of my personal feelings on Avengers Endgame, followed by two more segments, both featuring return guests to the podcast. First, my Spider-Man Far From Home guest and representative for Team Iron Man, Rich Camarda, digs into Tony Stark's ending in the MCU and reminds us about the most important character we haven't discussed yet, the rat. Then you'll hear from one of my Spider-Man Homecoming guests, Megan, who thoughtfully reflects on the elements of Endgame that have stuck out to her after only seeing it once, including standout visuals and various food-related scenes. Megan also wraps up the podcast's ongoing exploration of what it means to be an Avenger in perhaps the most straightforward and fitting way possible. As always, you can follow the podcast for updates and fun extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And now, for the last time before I officially retire it, the original intro to There Was an Idea. I am TK, of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. Avengers Endgame, though not officially the final film of Phase 3 of the MCU, is the ultimate culmination of the Infinity Saga. Released in April 2019, this movie shattered numerous box office records, including becoming the highest-grossing film of all time. Many people questioned not only where the MCU would go next, but when or if we would ever experience such collective hype for this level of star-studded movie experience again. Of course, when originally asking these questions, none of us knew what we know now about how the COVID-19 pandemic would affect the world at large about a year later. And while we still don't know exactly what the future of theater going and movie distribution will look like, I think it's safe to say that Endgame is going to hold on to its records for the foreseeable future, and that it will be a long time, if ever, before we have an experience quite like it again. It's tough, but if I was really, really forced to choose, I would say that Avengers Endgame is my number one favorite movie in the MCU. And after having numerous conversations with different people about Endgame for the podcast, it's become even harder for me to pick one favorite scene from the movie. So this is where I'm landing. What I love so much about Endgame are the little moments that have such a meaningful impact because of how far we've come with these characters and how much we've seen them grow. The maybe we both need to get a live you first conversation between Steve and Natasha at the Avengers headquarters, which speaks so strongly to each of their journeys and their friendship to each other. Thor's mother telling him the measure of a person, of a hero, is how well they succeed at being who they are. Seeing a well-adjusted and happy Banner-Hulk combination who has made peace with the dueling aspects of his identity. And of course, Tony Stark's last words, I am Iron Man. I could go on and on about Endgame and all of the moments that I love. But for now, on to the guest segments of the episode. Rich, hello and welcome back to the podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because when you previously guested on the show, we talked about Spider-Man Far From Home. And as you know, my approach has been more thematic than chronological when it comes to the podcast. But of course, you can't really talk about Spider-Man Far From Home without the impact of Endgame seeping into the discussion. And at the time, you had referenced some of your thoughts and feelings. So I thought it would be especially fun to have you back on the podcast again to do some follow-up on Endgame. Sounds good. One of the first things that I am kind of approaching with people who have formerly guested on the show is to look at the the character or characters who the previous movie that we talked about how their journey kind of develops in Endgame and for Spider-Man there's not a ton of screen time that he has in Endgame um, since as we know he was he was dusted at the end of Infinity War Um, however Another character whose legacy we we definitely have to talk about and whose story connects very much with Peter Parker's is Iron Man. So I'm interested first in hearing your take on what happens with Iron Man in Endgame and specifically your thoughts on Tony Stark's ending in the MCU. Yeah, so, you know, I was thinking about um, Tony and how, you know, Tony Stark is like, is emblematic of this like egotistical guy, but over the series of the movies, his is probably the most like jarring journey Mm. because, you know, so at the end of infinity war, of course they, they get their butts kicked, they lose. But when he gets back to earth, you know, after captain Marvel rescues him, the first thing he says is I lost the kid. I mean, like that is so devastating. He's become this like really aloof guy or he was this really aloof guy and then by the end of, by the end you get the end game he's literally a parental figure i mean eventually he does have his own kid but he's thinking about you know peter especially as you know like a, like a son right and I, I think he kind of thinks of the other avengers you know as a family but you know they're kind of like they're kind of like his kids you know he's and i think he feels like he let them down yeah and i think that really gnaws on him you know that scene in the cabin where they come back, they're like, you know, we, we want you to do this. And he's saying, no, 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 no. And he's saying no, because of course he can't risk his daughter, but I don't think it's, it's such a hard no. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first time we see Morgan, she's wearing uh, the new suit, the the rescue suit for, for Pepper. Yeah. So he's still tinkering with this stuff. I mean, he's still making suits. Who knows how he's gotten, you know, the garage. It's probably not just that one. So I don't think, I don't think Tony ever really fully retired from the fight. You know, I think he was, I, I think he was wounded because of losing Peter and he's on his like path to recovery, but I don't think he was ever really out of the fight. And I, I think, you know, on the first watch, it's like, all right, Tony doesn't want to do this, but I don't know about that. On the rewatch and the, you know, the third watch and fourth watch, I think he's looking for his like redemption. And when it's presented to them, the first thing he does is he says no, but then he goes on his variety and starts working on it. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I think that's I think that's kind of an intru- you know it's it's the most drastic arc of all the, the characters I think. You know, Tony going from this aloof kind of playboy to you know a, a dad who's kind of he's he's going to save the world and doesn't hesitate when it comes time down to doing it. You know. Yeah, yeah, he really doesn't, and I think that's. Um... You know, I hadn't even fully considered what you were saying before about how his daughter playing with the with the rescue mask is 
evidence that he has been playing around with this stuff and that this is not just part of his past. And I, I think that's true too, that when you watch it again, you know, it, it, it's clear that despite his uh, understandable hesitance to getting involved in the time travel shenanigans, right? It, it, you know, he, he very realistically, I think, wants to accept the loss as hard, the loss as hard as it's been for him and all of them. Um, but you, you can clearly tell that he's, he's not going to be the person who gives up. And when presented with a, a problem or a challenge, he's going to try and figure it out. Yeah. I think about him washing the dishes, you know, and I love how distracted he is. Yeah. It's like his mind is somewhere else. He's already working the problem. He's, you know, I, but that, I think that's, I think that's Tony's main, main thing is, you know, he's got this kind of drive to like tinker. I mean, that's, exactly. that's what his central thing is. And you know, he's always a tinker. And if there's a problem to tinker with, he's, he's going to do it. Yeah. And I think that, that you've also hit the nail on the head with something too, with talking about his, his relationship to, to Peter being a motivating force, right? I lost the kid. And, and even when Cap reminds him, you know, we lost, he has that sense of personal responsibility. And you can see then too, in, in the scene, one of the scenes in his own home later on, the five years later, that he has that picture of him and Peter. And I, I think that it's, mm-hmm. it's no coincidence that they show that picture on screen before he starts running the the simulations to try to figure it out. The plaque he's holding, isn't it? The, the Stark internship? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Great little egg. Yeah. And, and, and this idea too, that he won't be able to rest, right? If he, if right. he doesn't share what he's learned and, and, and Pepper understands that about him. And I, I, I I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, their relationship and, and how that's developed throughout the MCU. I think there's probably a more eloquent way to discuss Tony and Pepper's relationship, but she, she gets him on yeah. like a fundamental level. I mean, she just, she, you know, guides him, can steer him, has, an, has influence on him. But, it, you know, when they're talking on the couch about there's this thing, uh, I can do it. I can shelve it, put a pin in it. I think, you know, if she had said, yeah, we're not doing this, maybe Tony would have let it go for a month. A week, right? I, I, I think he would have come back to it. I don't think he could have really said no. But I think Pepper knows him well enough after all these years and after everything they've been through that you know he's a dog with a bone and he's not going to let this go. So she kind of rationalizes it for him, you know, gives him permission almost, yeah, to kind of go do what he's got to do. And I have to understand. I have to believe that. Pepper understood the risk. I mean, of, of course she does. You're gonna uh, you're gonna go tinker with time and do a time heist and fight Thanos or steal Infinity Stone. I mean, that's all pretty crazy to begin with. But right, you know, now they've got a little kid. I mean, she's got to be thinking about that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I definitely um, agree with your assessment there. I think that you know she's one of the the characters in this entire saga that we don't get a ton on you know, just her and what motivates her and and what makes her tick and how her brain works, right? Because she is a supporting character. But all of that being said, I I think that, you know, maybe maybe part of it is to the credit of the writing or to Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever it may be. Um, But I do think that you 
even in the, the the fewer amount of scenes that she gets compared with a lot of the other characters that we've um, come to know and love throughout this entire saga, I think that you see that in her. I, I think that you see that she does understand him and that ultimately she does support him yeah. knowing. And I, th- I think you can tell that she knows that that, uh, that, you know, like many of the other heroes involved here in this story, that, that she is going to make the selfless decision and let him be who he is and do what he is going to do and not stand in the way and not, you know, he has enough inside of him telling him, hey, right, I can't lose what I've gained here, right? Like, like he doesn't want to roll the dice on this, right? He's gotten his second chance. And, you know, these are the words that he says. And I, and I think that she, she knows that he himself is being his his own um, the the devil and the angel on his soul, on his shoulder, yeah, so well, to speak, right. right? As he's saying that, who are you trying to convince, buddy? I mean, yes, yes, you know, <laughs> exactly. You know, so I think I think her support of him is there until the end, and uh, and of course, it also serves to just make the story more more heartbreaking that that she's there, and of course. You know their daughter is there, and 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 uh, the <laughs> the emotional heartstrings it pulls on with all of the "I love you" three thousand and and everything there. But the you know the other thing to me that really uh, stands out with with Tony Stark's story here is is his voiceover that you hear at the end, and and just how powerful that is when he's talking about um, families being reunited, and that he hopes something like a normal version of the planet was restored if ever there was such a thing. And, you know, he says, oh, if you told me 10 years ago and who knew, and, and while he's saying this voiceover, you see, um, you see Scott and his family and you see Clint and his family and T'Challa and, and his family. And it, it's just very, very emotional. And, and that's, I was curious, uh, you know, t- on your take on that and, and seeing, uh, this movie for, Maybe the first time you saw it, maybe the second and subsequent times that you saw it, as being someone who was a fan of the MCU all along, you know, how how did that hit you? You know, I always, you know, I when it comes to Team Cap and Team Iron Man, you know, you know that I'm firmly <laughs> on the side of Team Iron Man. That's right. My <laughs> children and wives, um, <laughs> they're all Team Cap. They're very vocal opinions too. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and and I, I get it. I mean, Cap Cap is. Um, I guess the leader of, of the Avengers, but uh, Iron Man's the heart. Mm. I mean, he's the thing that's driving it. Right. You know, maybe, maybe wrongly sometimes, maybe he's hot headed, maybe he's not considered or, ta- uh, you know, tactful, but um, I mean, Iron Man is the, you know, the heart, the heart of the Avengers, which I think the writers certainly understood this, the, you know, mm. the last scene of, um, well, one of the last scenes of the movie is that is Pepper floating away his first arc reactor. Yeah, you know, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. He has a heart, and he is the heart. I mean, that's that's pretty clear. You know, he, you know, Natasha talks about creating a family, and uh, I mean, they all kind of do talk about how they have this family. I mean, Rocket talks about how this is his family, and um, Natasha, it's her family. It's, I think that's true of Tony too. I mean, yeah. Outside of Pepper, who does he have? That's one of the first things he says to Pepper. It's like, you know, she's like, I forget who says this first. Um, you're all I have. Well, you're all I have, too. Right. By the end of the movie, he's got this whole, like, crew of people who care deeply about him. Um, maybe in different ways, but, uh, you know, even Steve Rogers, I have to imagine, cares about him deeply. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. Respects him, certainly. You know, the, the trust between them to go do what they've done. 
they did. And even the disappointment with each other when they fail, I think, is indicative of you know their their care for each other. Because if they didn't care for each other, it wouldn't feel so raw, right? Of course, yeah. But when they fail, it would have been like, oh, well, you know, maybe you beat yourself up about it. But I think that some of that rawness had to do with their relationship and that they did care for each other. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, one of the scenes that really sticks out to me in Endgame 2 is the scene when, you know, Tony gives Steve the shield and and that sharp contrast between that scene and what we see in Civil War. And, and you know, clearly after some time has gone by, you know, they, I, I like to think, you know, that they realize that they are stronger when they both acknowledge, you know, what they bring to this team and, you know, to the Avengers and, their both of their unique perspectives and offerings are are important to being able to defeat Thanos, right? I think that you know my my friend Rob, who has been on the show a couple times, he, he his take on this was that you know his belief is that if Thanos had invaded prior to the events of Civil War, that the Avengers could have defeated Thanos earlier, and that it was that fracturing that occurs in Civil War. Uh, and that separation, you know, specifically between Tony and Steve, that really, um, you know, drove the the wedge in in who the Avengers are and their ability to to stand against this uh, this enemy. And I think that's a really interesting take on it because in mm. Endgame you see them kind of coming back together and sort of making that compromise and, and acknowledging who each other is. And uh, and and this is of course the film in which they are victorious over him. You know, that's interesting too because uh, and actually. Now that you say that, and I, I think I agree with that completely. And I, <laughs> I'll tell you the context I've been thinking about this. So, so I've been thinking about the rat a lot. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, all right. So, so Doctor Strange says, you know, he did what? Uh, he looked into fourteen billion and fifteen or whatever it is futures, and in only one of those situations did they win. And I always thought that was kind of, I mean, how could that be? Like. They're the Avengers. They're a pretty formidable force. They've got Captain Marvel, who is like the strongest being in the universe. I mean, right, 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 right. Like, how do they only win once? Mm -hmm. And then, I'm, then I got to thinking, well, well maybe it's like, maybe they only get to meet in the final battle like four times because only in four of the instances out of fourteen billion does the mouse actually rat or whatever it is step on the button to get. Uh, you know, Scott Lang out of, out of the quantum realm so they could actually have this battle. Like, yeah. if all things are considered, you have all the Avengers or whatever the Avengers were pre-Civil War against Thanos. I gotta say it's 50-50, right? It's not just one. Right. It can't be just one. This doesn't make any sense. It's a, yeah, that's a very, very small ratio. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a great point. And, it, you know, it almost, it, it, to, to somebody who spends time thinking maybe too deeply and analyzing a little bit too much about this kind of thing it's maybe that that reminder of like hey listen some of this is up to chance right like <laughs> like well right right <laughs> you know and I, I remember a lot of people were making jokes that you know the the, you know, the rat was now one of the avengers so it's like well, you know they already said that there's only like one situation out of 14 billion and 50 or 15 or whatever it is um where they 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 beat him but how do you know they meet him in the other 14 million, 14 billion chances, right? Yeah, great point. So they've already explained it to you. Like, in this one chance, this one roll of the dice, <laughs> this rat walks into this van, 
in steps on the right sequence of buttons. Now I'm so picturing course, like in Doctor Strange's mind, you know, when he's like, you know, quickly moving and, and like in Infinity War and like showing that he's, God, you know, yeah. seeing all this different stuff. That like it's just the, rat the rat. The <laughs> he's just picturing the, the rat. rat. <laughs> the, rat doesn't, the, the rat gets killed. The rat doesn't step on it. The rat walks yeah. around it. Maybe he steps on it, but he steps on the wrong button. At least in a billion chances, you know, the rat isn't even there. So <laughs> I think these odds are probably better than Dr. Strange lets on. Great point. Great stuff, Rich. Thank you. That's that's really, really <laughs> funny. That's really insightful. Oh, man. Never even had a name, this rat. <laughs> <laughs> that's my hot take. Um, before we kind of move on from this idea about uh, Tony and, and, and his arc in the story, is there anything else you wanted to say about that? About Tony and his arc. That's funny. His arc reactor. His arc reactor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'd, I'd read somewhere that they didn't know what the last line was going to be that Tony was going to say. And mm. it's kind of funny because it seems so obvious now that I am Iron Man is his last line. Right. Um, I mean, what else is he going to say? <laughs> Something snarky as he's about to obliterate himself. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I am Iron Man uh, introducing himself as the Iron Man character. And then that's his, that's the last thing he ever says. And I think that's amazing. Whether you planned it out, you know, 12 years in advance or, or not that you could cap it like that is pretty incredible. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, and I will also let it be known that while I have uh, on the podcast talked a bunch of times about really admiring Steve Rogers and, and being a team cap person, you know, I, I will say that especially watching this movie, the character of Tony Stark and, and his power and his significance and just the the amount of growth that this character has and how truly incredible this character is, it cannot be ignored. And I, I love this character and how he develops over the course of the of the MCU. And I also think that, it, you know, it had to be him. It, it had to be I am Iron Man and I would not have wanted it any other way and and uh to me this is one of you know one of his his shining moments in the mcu and while <laughs> while i may have uh come out as team cap i i really genuinely do love the character of tony stark and you can't walk it back now yeah. <laughs> uh you know i <laughs> and i you know it's it's also just incredible to me to to see the the number of different writers and directors who have worked with his character you you see this this consistency and this growth and and i think a lot of that is is a credit to robert downey jr who yeah. is incredible yeah. Yeah, he's such an embodiment of the of the character um i mean it's hard to imagine anyone else playing that part oh my gosh completely and and even in the credits of of endgame which i i uh, just rewatched earlier today actually uh you know i was i was going through disney plus and and for whatever reason, the last time I, I was watching parts of this movie, I it had like stopped it around the the, the funeral scene. And uh, so I kind of just watched the rest of it then. And, and in the credits, of course, you know, they, they show all of the amazing, huge, big name actors who are in this film. And, and then they show the the six original Avengers, you know, with the, mm. the signatures and everything. And, and just like building up to Tony Stark building up to Iron Man and, and seeing in the background, you know, the, the images from the very first movie and his first suit. And 
Uh, then the the music, the incredible Avengers Endgame music, and uh, the the way the helmet snaps shut, like in that last note of ah, uh, it's incredible. It, it it really really is, and it, it has to be him. And as much as I'm a fan of Captain America, it it could not have ended on Captain America. It had to end on on Iron Man like that. Yeah, I think it would have been dissatisfying, but I'm biased. So. <laughs> he got the hammer. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which I love. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I loved it too. It was pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, and I and I know that especially being alone when the when the kids are ganging up against you, <laughs> maybe maybe you know maybe someday you'll be able to uh, persuade them uh, to see more of the the team Stark side of things. But um, one can only hope that they are their mother, so <laughs> not easily persuadable. <laughs> I hope to have them as future guests on the podcast at some point. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, but uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of, of fun questions that I I want to ask everybody uh, as, as they relate to to this movie Endgame. But I also wanted to provide a little bit of space if you had um, any other general thoughts about the movie itself, any other standout uh, scenes, uh, a favorite scene perhaps uh, that you want to talk about. So. I, there's there's a lot of little scenes that I love in this movie. Um, oh, when Thor and Rocket are on Asgard trying yeah. to get the ether, and the guards are chasing him and say, "Get the rabbit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I that was a good scene. Uh, probably my my favorite scene of the movie, other than I am Iron Man, has got to be when Captain Marvel shows up. I mean, like. It's literally a showstopper. The whole yeah. action just stops. Everything just stops. Mm-hmm. And she just shoots out of the skies like this bright light and takes out Thanos' ship. I mean, that's that is hands down the coolest part of the movie. I mean, it's my favorite part. It it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, and I, I she's such a badass. Like you know, again, that goes that goes back to my point. Like, how do they how do they not have a 50-50 chance against Thanos if Captain Marvel is like you know rolling around in this in this in this battle? True. I mean, yeah, I so like, true. <laughs> he blasts her with the you know the infinity uh, with the the orb, but power stone. But I mean that even still, she was going to get back up and kick some butt. Yeah, she so. is definitely a formidable opponent to Thanos, and and that is shown uh, even even in the the brief moments that we see of them facing off in this movie. And uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but even you know, as as I, I think everyone knows, I'm a big Captain Marvel fan. And watching this movie for the first time, I almost kind of forgot that she was still in play. <laughs> so it's like in that scene when when you're watching that that huge epic battle scene, and you're, and you're already kind of thinking like, man, this can't get better. Uh, you know, seeing her arrive, it was almost almost a surprise in a certain way because i was like oh man that's right like she yeah. hasn't come back yet <laughs> she hasn't come back yet yeah what an entrance i mean i don't know that that part that part was amazing totally captain you know captain america picking up meal in the air was pretty cool too i guess <laughs> you guess <laughs> well I, so i'll i'll submit a second one yes and it's it's smaller and it's <laughs> It's when uh, Scott Lang gets his tacos blown away. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Hulk walks out and, you know, kindly gives him two. <laughs> so good. Well, and on the on the topic of Scott Lang, one of the questions that was posed by 
again, Rob, I think when we were talking about this movie was, uh, let's, let's talk to everybody about who they think the funniest Avenger is. I mean, if it's not Scott, I don't know. I'm Natasha's pretty funny. I agree. She's got that. She's got that dry wit that kind of cuts. Uh, I like that. That she cracks me up. I agree. And I also had put a vote in for rocket. Oh yeah. I mean, rocket's great. He's definitely, <laughs> but I, you know, he's pretty serious in that movie too. That is true. They all are. They have their moments, but I don't know. I, I think it's funny that Hulk and banner, the combination of them two is this is like big cuddly guy. Like, <laughs> yes. He's not, he's not, he's not angry at all. I mean, we're just, we've let go of the anger. That's what we've done. We've, that's the combination. <laughs> I don't know. He's taking selfies with little kids. Yeah. Well, trying and to get everyone to eat at the diner. I think that people are, are kind of <laughs> torn on the whole Hulk banner combination that we see in this movie. And I, and I understand that, you know, people wanted to see more of how that developed. And I, I would agree with that. I, you know, I, I really like banner and Hulk and Mark Ruffalo and, and would also have loved to see some more of how that all came about. Um, but I love the, the combination character, uh, the, the smart Hulk, professor Hulk, however, however you want to call him. Right. And, uh, he, uh, I was talking with my friend, Kevin, and we spoke a little bit about, uh, which Avenger we would most like to quarantine with. And he actually had my vote for, for somebody who I'd really like to hang out with until Kevin pointed out that he would take up a lot of space. So <laughs> a lot, lot of space. Yeah. That'd be a problem. But otherwise he'd probably be pretty good company. Yeah. He's so chill. Yeah. He's, he's wearing shirts now. So. <laughs> the taco scene cracks me up. So good. Hey, tiny man. <laughs> he gives him the tacos. <laughs> I have um, a, one of my favorite uh, pop Funko toys is uh, Hulk with the little tacos in his hand. <laughs> That's amazing. That's very cute. <laughs> I'll post a picture of it online. Um, so do, wait, do you, do you have a pick of, uh, which Avenger you'd most like to quarantine with? Oh man, I don't know. That's a tough question. You know, I think, I think my answer probably, probably comes down to, uh, are, are we quarantining at my place or theirs? That's a good, good point. If it's my place, I don't know. I, I think I'd hang out with Rody. He seems like he'd be a pretty chill guy to hang out with for a couple months. Totally. Yes. You know? Very level-headed, uh, cool guy. Yeah, doesn't take up a lot of space like Hulk does. <laughs> right. I feel like I, I don't know why, but I feel like Rhodey is the kind of guy who like knows how to cook. Uh, I think that that's valuable in a quarantine. Very true. Very true. Um, definitely not Tony. That would be terrible. Or Cap, <laughs> I couldn't do that. Oh my god, that'd be horrible. Well, and I said even even as a Cap fan, I I couldn't. You know, I think that Steve would be the person who would be like guilting you for not working out every morning and follow. You know, like following <laughs> yeah. a regimented schedule and being yes. very routined. Like, oh my god, no. we're gonna get up at six a.m. every morning and laughs. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no. <laughs> Clint's got a farm though. That's what I keep thinking about. Big barn, archery range. Yes. Yes. I mean, you can quarantine on like a couple a dozen acres at least and like never see anybody. That place would be amazing uh, to stay at. Yeah. Teach you some archery. Yes. That might be an option. That's a great that might choice. Be without, yeah. That might be my, my pick. Yeah. I hadn't even considered that option. I, I was thinking a lot about like what it would be like to stay at the Avengers headquarters. And uh, 
<laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> like we see in uh, Civil War, cooking some food with Vision and Wanda, you know, that could be fun. But uh... <laughs> yeah, that's not the worst place. I feel yeah. like those two would be moody. Like you'd be hanging out with them, though, and they'd start they get into like a little fight. And like, oh, I don't know. 100%. They would be that couple that would they, they were constantly like in their dramatics, you know? Yeah. I think <laughs> going back to Rhodey, though. Rhodey's no drama. True. There's no drama at all. I think he'd probably work out, but not guilt you about it. And I think he'd probably be okay with like sitting on the couch for a couple of days and just watching movies. I think, I think I'm going to go with Rhodey. Great choice. He seems like a chill guy. Throughout this uh, season of the podcast in which I've been kind of digging into the Avengers movies and other, uh, you know, collaborative team up movies, you know, one of the, the questions that we've been really looking at is this idea of like, what does it mean to be an Avenger, right? To kind of uh, sacrifice some aspect of maybe who you are individually uh, or not, uh, but but into this kind of collective shared identity of being an Avenger. And so I was just kind of curious if you had any thoughts on that related to Endgame or, or even just in general. Well, I mean, as Tony says, they do their best work after the fact. Yes. That's certainly true. I mean, 100%. Yeah, what does it mean to be a bit... I don't know. I I mean, clearly, you know, the, her- the heroics, the self-sacrifice, that's all obvious, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. What does it mean to be an Avenger? It really Scott is. an Avenger? I don't know. I feel like even though he's, like, on the team, he's kind of not. Yeah, and what, you know, again, I... I in my last episode, I, I chatted with um, a couple of the, the people who were my guests on Age of Ultron, who were my group of former students. And uh, Emily had actually mentioned that, like, Scott is kind of in this in Endgame for more of a personal stake, right? And that, you know, obviously he, he, you know, I would argue that he's an Avenger too, right? But he was brought into this uh, for for more of this personal reason, I guess. And whereas, like, you know, some of these these Avengers-like Natasha and Tony and, and Steve are, are kind of there for for something. It's it's grown much larger than them. So I, you know, I th- I think that that yeah. maybe there's an interesting thing to explore there. I think you're on the right track. I think that's it. I think the the larger mission, the yeah. commitment to the larger mission, the greater good, that's what makes you an Avenger. Yeah. I mean, you know. Even the like the Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, they're in they're in Endgame, but they're not Avengers. Is Rocket an Avenger? Is Captain Marvel an Avenger? I don't know. I mean, she's the original Avenger, but yeah, yeah. I, that's that's very interesting. It is. It is. I don't think there's a clear cut answer, you know. And and and, and looking ahead to yeah, absolutely. And, and thank looking, you for the frustrating question. <laughs> I mean, of course, but you know, looking ahead to to. Uh, where the MCU is going next. And, and uh, you know, we have WandaVision coming up, a show that I'm very excited about. And I do think they are very interesting characters. But uh, yes. are they Avengers in the same way? I You know, I think that's a really interesting question. And, and when we see the next Avengers film, which I they haven't announced an Avengers film in the, way, the same way they've announced all of these other upcoming projects and, you know, movies and shows on Disney Plus and things like that. But... You know, I, I I think maybe there will be Avengers films in the future. So I think that will be interesting to see um, what that mantle, you know, what that title comes to to mean in the future. But at the same time, if, if there aren't, you know, I'm very excited for the future of the MCU. But if there aren't movies that are, are titled Avengers colon something in the future, 
I'm also okay with that. I think, you know what I mean? Because yeah, no, I agree. It's hard yeah. to see. It's hard to see anyone, but the original six. Yeah. Yeah. The original six is Avengers. Yeah. I mean, unless you're part of that original Avengers initiative put together by, by fury. I don't know. That's, that's a hard thing. I'm, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Tough yeah. question. It is. Tough it question. is a tough question. It's and it's something that I anticipate coming back to you in in the future as well. Before we wrap up here, Rich, do you have any other last thoughts related to Avengers Endgame or anything oh, else you'd like thoughts, to share? But go ahead, a million. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I once debated with my boys whether you could, it, whether it was physically possible to count to a million. We decided it was not. But, <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to get through my list. That's so funny. No, I've got, I, I think I'm good. All right. <laughs> well, thank you again for uh, talking the Avengers with me. And I will absolutely keep you in mind uh, as I continue to approach different aspects of this world in these discussions on the podcast. Thank you. Look forward to it. Oh, hello there, Megan. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Tara. Thank you for joining me today to talk a little bit about Avengers Endgame. And uh, last time that we spoke about the MCU, it was about Spider-Man Homecoming and Peter Parker's coming-of-age story. And at that time, we talked about how you were relatively new to the to what I'm going to refer to as the you part of the MCU. Um, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall you saying that you had seen some of the movies and were aware of some of them, but uh, that you hadn't before really realized how intricately connected they all were. And one of the things that you said uh, during that conversation about Spider-Man Homecoming is something that I have actually quoted <laughs> a number of times um, throughout this process of talking with different people about these movies. And that is that you referred to it as being like a labyrinth or a tapestry. And I, do you remember that? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you watch, you were like, that wasn't me. What are you talking about? <laughs> But anyway, because of that, I, I thought it would be really cool to come back to that point and to revisit this world with you and, and hear a little bit more about what you think of specifically Avengers Endgame and its place in that, that larger tapestry. Cool. All right. Well, I guess my first thought is just that I feel like the movie Endgame is I was going to say a microcosm, but I guess like a macrocosm of that tapestry idea in itself, because like you said, it's such a behemoth of a film and it's like several different films happening all within once. It's, it's complicated. It's hard to, not hard to pay attention, but it's, it's hard to like weave everything together with going back and forth in time, connecting it to the first Avengers movie, plus all of the Avengers and their stories. Yeah. It's wild. So this movie, I think, is a is a great um, kind of capstone for that that sentiment. Yeah, I think that's nicely said. I think that that captures it really well. That if if anyone were looking to understand the the wor this world's approach to the weaving of that tapestry, right? You can get a glimpse of what that is in this one three hour film and how it balances so many storylines and actors and. In this one, getting into alternate timelines and things like that. So, I just curious: is there 
a particular aspect from this one that sticks out to you as being uh, a favorite, perhaps? That's tricky for me because I saw the movie only once. So for me, at this point, so much of what's ingrained within my memory is less character-driven and more visually driven. I, I like can see the movie, but I don't know who's who and what's going on and why it's happening. <laughs> that's fascinating. So I, I'm, I think that's a really interesting perspective to take to it. A, a movie like this, and or you know maybe even any movie, but I, I've heard a lot of people refer to this movie and the first time they saw it as being an experience of sorts. So to kind of think of, to think about what does stand out from that experience and what you hold on to later. So is there anything in particular about the visuals that you feel still kind of pops into your head? For one, I think that it's a movie where the CGI was done exceedingly well. Uh, maybe we're just finally at that point in the future <laughs> with technology and capabilities and a movie that probably had such an insane budget that they were able to really dedicate the time and energy and manpower into making that possible. But it was done just so well that I never had a moment where I was questioning whether I'm seeing reality mm. or something that's like very obviously fake, very obviously a movie that um, the suspension of disbelief in yeah. such an unbelievable movie was still there somehow. More specifically, when it comes to the film itself, so much of it was the colors. Mm. Me, the, the colors of the Infinity Stones, for example. And they were so luminous and vibrant. And I felt like those colors were used throughout the film in a way that even if like you didn't see the an Infinity Stone or anything on the screen, mm. there were still aspects of that same kind of illumination that were used in other places, whether it was like lava bubbling or lasers or yeah. like whatever, all sorts of just beautiful things happening at all the all times. Wow. You know, that's really, really interesting. And I think that just 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 that one comment that you made alone is is making me think about an entirely new angle from which I could approach watching this movie next time. And because I, I have seen it a bunch of times and I've um I've seen it looking for different things. I've seen it in bits and pieces when I wanted to just kind of look at one particular character or one particular part of it. Um, I've had it on in the background and considered what stands out when I have it on in the background. But th this idea of, of looking for the colors in those scenes in which the stones are not necessarily even um, a main part, that's really, really interesting. And I also, um, <laughs> to your point about the accomplishment, I guess, of, of the CGI in this movie, I really, what's <laughs> what sticks out to me is that I definitely find myself losing that there, there are some movies that you see that you're hyper aware of it all the time. I even, you know, some of the Marvel movies that I'm thinking, oh, okay, like this is the Hulk mocap suit or whatever it is. But in this one, there are such emotional scenes with the character Rocket that I forget that that's not, you know, like Bradley Cooper or another actor like sitting there with Chris Hemsworth and, you know, like talking to him about trying to get his family back. Like it, like the emotions there are, are so strong. And that's also a testament to, well, to the writing and, and the acting of both the person who has to act opposite <laughs> 
something that's going to be digitally put in as well as the voice actors and and then also to as you said the fact that the cgi has really come a long way and that we're not sitting there going okay well that's obviously fake but the big battle scene make it makes you feel like they were all really there together exactly (laughs) it's like even just leading up to it right before that whole scene where there's that really wide shot of the whole battlefield and like you just see everybody and it's all gray and and foggy and dusty and just looks like a terrible place to be mm-hmm. but there's still that sun illuminating like it's coming through and then you you know what's about to happen and then all those portals open up and it's it's just it's wild it yeah. was so cool <laughs> well i guess to clarify that thought i had it wasn't necessarily that there are those specific colors kind of woven throughout the film, but more that the the same way that those stones illuminate, mm. I see other colors in the, the film shining, like with cool. the same kind of texture, visual yeah. texture, I guess. I'm sure that they, they are like woven in a bit. And like, that is an interesting idea to watch the film now and like, try to notice those colors used more but um yeah i guess it was more of like the uh the quality of the color that i see throughout the film as opposed to those specific hues i see what you're saying that's really interesting it's always so fascinating to me too to think about how uh how other people are seeing and experiencing color and light and things like that because for all I know, the way that you're seeing things are, is different than the way that I'm seeing them. Um, yeah, my purple is your yellow. Who knows? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah. So as far as scenes go, if it's not clear already, that entire ending battle scene, well, I guess not even ending because that's not even the end of the film. Right. <laughs> but that whole scene was just like totally wild. It was so cool. Even <laughs> coming back to the point you were saying before about like, the the worlds within the world and being a microcosm of that larger thing like e- even that one big battle scene feels like that like the way it's balancing so many different characters and uh, it's really feels like an achievement you know a thematic question that i have been speaking with other guests on the podcast about. And we didn't specifically talk about it when we talked about Spider-Man, though I think certainly some of the things that we all reflected on together um, about Spider-Man would be relevant to this conversation. But thinking about that or thinking about this movie, like what what does it mean to be an Avenger? To be a pal. (laughs) (laughs) To be a good pal. (laughs) To uphold your, I guess your duty. Mm. to do what it is you need to do, whether it's for yourself or humanity or your colleagues, I guess, because yeah. they are colleagues. They don't even always necessarily like each other very much, right? <laughs> but yeah. they still work together and get the job done and just be a pal. Be a pal. I'm going to, next time we play, uh, what's the name of the t-shirt one? TKO. TKO. Yeah, I'm going to... you with an O at the end. Exactly. TK <laughs> me. Uh, I'm going to draw a little image. Maybe it'll be like a little little Spider-Man looking face. <laughs> and then we'll put be a pal on it. That's like, adorable. <laughs> I also ask people who they'd like to quarantine with. If I had to quarantine with an Avenger, 
I guess. So I don't think this person is technically an Avenger. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure they really exist anymore. So I'd have to conduct a time heist and find the ancient one and, and experience my quarantine with the ancient one. That is a really fascinating and unique choice. (laughs) (laughs) What, What do you think your time would be like? I would be learning how to harness energy and shape reality because might as well, right? If I got all this time in the world in quarantine, I might as well do something really deep with it. Some people are learning how to bake bread. Some people might be starting a podcast. No, harnessing energy, twisting and playing with time. <laughs> maybe maybe shaving your head. Maybe shaving my head. I got to do what I got to do. <laughs> you know, I am glad that you brought that up because a, a, a scene from the movie Endgame that I haven't yet uh, talked with anybody about is a, a part that I actually really like in which the ancient one pushes the essence of Hulk, who in this movie is the uh, combination of both Bruce Banner's self and Hulk's self. And it's those two parts of his essence finally kind of coming together, right? But when she pushes like his uh, astral self like out of his body, it it looks just like Mark Ruffalo. Like it's just Bruce Banner and it's not the combination. And that's actually one of my small favorite scenes in the movie, because I think that it asks so many questions in there about that one particular character. Like, you know? Right, right. That's see, no, imagine I could do that. I learned how to do that. And I could do that to you or somebody right? myself, perhaps, and get that perception of like, that distillation of who you are, and, and bring it all together. Because I think you know, you've talked about identity so much in these conversations, and we're all comprised of so many different things. Yeah. And so many different selves that we only see one version of ourselves, but we feel multiple versions of ourselves. Other people see ourselves in a way that we don't see ourselves, and we could never know how they see us. And it's, it's freaky, but it's really cool at the same time. Yeah. And if only we could just so easily access that ability to get in touch with our identity but alas we're human and it's hard and that's okay too that's part of the fun i guess that's true it's making me think about you know if we were able to to push the astral projections of ourselves out of our bodies which side of our nose would we see our nose rings on right (laughs) (laughs) related to a conversation we recently had would it would it would it be the a mirror image or would it be how others see you from the outside? I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so your vote for quarantining with the Ancient One is, uh, I like that. There's another scene that stands out in the movie to me. Okay, tell me. I thought it was really funny. And I think it's probably completely unrelated to anything. But I believe it was the opening scene. Mm. And when we first put that movie on, I kept questioning like are we watching the right movie like are we streaming the right one did we download the right one Mm -hmm. and um because i had no idea what to expect anyway right and then like i just see um what's her name linda cardellini i think that's her name and i know her from mad men she played sylvia in a show called mad men and obviously freaks and geeks and other stuff that she's been and i'm just like what is she doing here (laughs) and then 
So what made that scene so funny to me, and I still laugh about it, was the whole mayonnaise on a hot dog thing. <laughs> and like, that was it. But like, <laughs> just who puts mayonnaise on a hot dog? I never put mayonnaise on a hot dog. I would try it, but... um, I would try it. Oh, that made me crack up for some reason. I was like, this is Avengers? <laughs> What's going on? Also speaks to the, the multitudes contained in this movie and contained in this MCU that... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of actors that show up that you're like, who are they in this universe? And Linda Cardellini is is always a delight for me. But yeah, yeah, the mayonnaise on the hot dog. And then the uh, there's a, a taco scene in here too. Hulk holding tacos, which is a really cute <laughs> oh, yeah, image. That. There's also the peanut butter and jelly too. Yeah, I there think, is. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Scarlett Johansson makes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I also remember kept thinking about like, she makes a really crappy... PB and J, and I was like offended by the peanut butter and jelly that I saw. But I don't know if like it was just like in the moment I like was not feeling that particular sandwich. Sure, I'd have to rewatch it to make sure. Right, right, right. Did look good or bad? But in the moment, I remember just being like, "That is a weak sandwich. Come on!" I don't even know if it was just. I think it was just like how she was spreading the peanut butter and jelly on it, and the quantities. Just like, come on, you could do better than that. I really appreciate that the, it's the food scenes that really stick out to you. You have, you have strong opinions on the food-based humor and storytelling. It, it's giving me an idea for a spinoff in which it's just like food across this universe. <laughs> the colors and the food and the ancient one. Oh, because I did see Doctor Strange. I saw that in theaters too. Now that I, now I remember. They don't get it fully into it in Endgame, so yeah, true. I, I figured that was outside knowledge, but. It's always such a delight to talk to you <laughs> and to get a glimpse of how how you uh, how you're seeing movies, how you're seeing the world. So I really a- appreciate uh, you sharing your insights with me. <laughs> no, I'm more about your your podcast, and it's it's just so awesome that you're doing this, and it's still going and still going strong. And I look forward to how it develops or continues to develop. Thank you. That's very kind of you, and I. I genuinely thank you for for being part of this journey with me. And it's been really, really fun to talk to all different sorts of people with all different sorts of relationships to this Marvel Cinematic Universe world. And uh, then to also revisit some conversations with people who I may have talked with a few months ago. So I appreciate your being part of that. I'll talk to you soon. Maybe we'll design some t-shirts. Sweet. <laughs> if you enjoyed this discussion about Avengers Endgame, please consider leaving a rating and review. You can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demetra Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for This Is Our Home Now a deep dive into the first two episodes of WandaVision.